Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and we are back with one of our midweek pods where, you know, we catch up on some news. We go through this and that. I hope you've all been having a lovely week. You know, we got Matt Nagy coming out and just saying that no matter what, even if there's a fire, Andy Dalton's still going to be the QB1 in Chicago. Maybe not his exact quote, but pretty close on that. I think we've had enough of that ridiculousness. So not going to be talking too much Justin Fields slander today. Plenty of other good stuff. And as always for this midweek edition, I'm joined by... Mr. Andrew Erickson, you can find on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore and of course at PFF.com. Andrew, you're on PTO last week. We missed you, man, but I hope you're rested and welcome back and happy uh, June 15th. Fantasy season is coming back, so I am back on the podcast. It was nice to take a break, escape to the beach for a little bit, but I'm ready to talk about some of these hyped up players because despite the fact that I was away from my computer, my phone kept blowing up with, you know, first of all, Saints Twitter, because something happened with the rankings where Alvin Kamara may have been left off, but he's he's been put back into place. So Saints Twitter, don't come after me. He's still ranked. I think I'm pretty sure I'm ranked higher than you do, Ian. So don't let Saints Twitter find out about that. But I'm excited to talk about some of these OTA hyped up players. Oh, they're aware. I've had many a passionate Saints <laughs> fan dimensions after my Austin Eckler over Alvin Kamara take uh, made its way out there. But it's all good. As long as you love football, I love you. Let's just, you know, be nice out there. I I like to think of myself as a fairly okay guy. So, you know, maybe just use, uh, you know, Fook instead of the other F word. And let's try to clean, keep things clean on the Twitter streets, everybody. But anyway, (laughs) Andrew and I today are going to be going through some of the OTA hype. Because if you follow, you know, some, it's, you know, I'm going to try to leave some names out of this. But maybe, you know, a major company that just happens to post headlines that end up being more clickbaity than the actual article would suggest. You know, you can follow some traps during the offseason. So we want to go through some of the big storylines from the past few weeks and just kind of clear up what you may have heard in passing on Twitter. So with that said, Andrew, we're going to kick things off with LaVisca Chenault. We've been a big fan of him on this podcast because the guy makes plays when you give him the ball. We had 1010XLs, which I think that's like a radio station, but Hayes Carlin said that LaVisca staked a claim as the Jaguars' best skill player during OTAs. He has been that impressive. We have more talk that the coaching staff is just thrilled with what Visca has been able to pull off. Today, we find out that they're trying to use him more as a pure wide receiver as opposed to last year though where he was in more of a hybrid role andrew what are your thoughts on lavisca chanel i guess throughout the past month and has anything really changed with you it's definitely changed as i have adjusted kind of my perception on it because we all kind of thought going into the draft okay chanel's going to be this low adoc guy he's going to be use around the line of scrimmage and really it seems like that's not the case with this new jacksonville staff it seems like they have an idea they want to use etn really more in that role and at first we all kind of were surprised by it and, and not happy with that result but at the same time lavisca chenault is a legitimately like good wide receiver he's not he doesn't need to be pigeonholed into some low a dot role where okay now he's going to potentially see more downfield targets he's going to actually be able to run regular routes like a normal wide receiver would and and something that i kind of found a really crazy crazy stat basically looked at lavisca chanel versus man coverage and basically compared it to a bunch of other rookie wide receiver seasons and the list is just absolutely filled with stud players justin jefferson michael thomas odell beckham jr mike evans t higgins chanel juju smith schuster mclaurin aj brown stefan diggs and then Martavis Bryant. Martavis Bryant's Martavis Bryant's probably the the worst one on there. And you could argue even he hit at some extent because of his really off the field issues yeah. that really deterred his NFL career. So just being placed in that list in that tier because of how well he graded against man coverage, 
I'm really excited about LaVisca Chenault. Yeah, pour one out from Martavis Bryant. For those 15 seconds where he had that like 90-yard score against the Cardinals, <laughs> stiff-arming Honey Badger to the ground, he looked like the best wide receiver alive, obviously did not last all that long. So I would just say, people, like throughout – OTAs training camp preseason what we are trying to measure as always is opportunity that's why we don't necessarily care how players perform in preseason but we want to keep an eye on first team reps alignments what guys are getting the reps when the starting quarterback is out there and that's where I am not that's why I'm not putting all that much stock into this you know coaching hype from Visca. it's good he's playing well of course we want our players to be you know popping off and practice with that said we know ETN is going to be in the slot. He's going to be playing that Percy Harvin role. Urban Myers told us that. Urban Myers is literally calling ETN slash. That's one of my favorite notes I found in this. Like he is playing receiver. They view him as that. That is happening. So on the outside, we have DJ Chark and Marvin Jones. If Visca is going to overtake one of them, that's fine. I'm with you. Visca might very well be the best pure wide receiver on this team. We don't necessarily need him to have a bunch of rush attempts, but somebody is losing out here. And DJ Chark seems to still be the consensus wide receiver one in Jacksonville. And I'm not so sure he should be anymore. Every note has been positive for Visca. We got Urban Meyer coming out straight up saying that he thought and he told Chark that he was playing too small in 2020. Chark had a real nice 2019 year. I enjoy watching the guy play. He's clearly got some talent. We might be overestimating a little bit how secure this number one spot is for him. For me, you know, we've talked about Marvin Jones being on the ageist list. He's just not someone I think has a ton of, uh, you know, gas left in the engine. Credit to him for scoring nine touchdowns last year. But look at his performance before and after Kenny Galladay. I don't see him getting the 10 plus target workload he had towards the end of last season with Jacksonville. I think if anything, if you're in on Visca and if you think this is good news, which I, it, it's not bad news by any stretch, I think we should be considering making the Visca over Chark leap as opposed to, you know, imagining him getting the role that we already know ETN does. So just remember, there's only so many spots on the field, as much as some teams like Carolina, like Arizona, who don't necessarily throw the ball to tight ends. You know, even the most four wide receiver heavy offenses are still utilizing a tight end on like 80% of their snaps, even if they're blocking instead of receiving. So only one ball. Unfortunately, this Jaguars offense is a little more crowded than we thought, but at least Visca is making his claim as potentially the best wide receiver there. Now, Andrew, I sent you this list yesterday, and I had Tua Tagovola on here, thinking it was going to be a positive because, you know, he was saying a surgically repaired hip feels 10 times better than last year. Brian Flores says he's definitely more comfortable. And then we had Tuesday. Tua threw five interceptions during an OTA. Twitter's all over it. I sent a fake tweet out saying he threw 30 interceptions in a 15-minute period, and people are believing it. People, if I put sources in any tweet, that's how you know it's a joke. I do not have any sources. I'm just trying to have fun on the middle of a Tuesday. Andrew, tell the people what you think about Tua and why we shouldn't be concerned about him tossing five interceptions in the middle of June. Two points here. Number one, Patrick Patrick Mahomes famously threw a bunch of interceptions before his breakout year in 2018. Seven and six practice. He's he's testing the defense. And number two, or B or whatever, Xavier Howard is holding out. You got to give the defense some confidence, man. Like, you got to get the defense going and be like, hey, man, we don't need Howard. Like, yo, we got five picks without Xavier Howard. We're pretty sure led the NFL in interceptions last yeah. year. So, okay, the, it's definitely being blown out of proportion. This, does, this should not shape, change your view on Tua, whether you were in on him or not. This this really shouldn't change your per- perception of him whatsoever. Look, it's a practice. It's an OTA. It's for, like the first one. So don't overreact to it. Again, the things that we like about Tua are that, it's a new offense that's catered to him. You know, last year it was Chan Gailey 
who was Ryan Fitzpatrick's guy, like for many seasons before even the last year in Miami. The weapons have upgraded. Jalen Waddle, Will Fuller, more weapons, more speed. Yak Yak City, dude. That's what I'm talking about. He didn't have that last year. We've talked about it on this podcast. Mike Gusecki just doesn't break tackles. It's Zach Ertz, number one, that doesn't break tackles, and then Mike Gusecki's number two. I really want them to start a Twitter account so Mike Gusecki didn't break a tackle? No. Something like that. And then the third thing is the hip surgery thing. He's another year removed from it. So there's a lot of reasons to like Tua as a late-round quarterback, and the fact that he threw five picks, to me, honestly, is just, look, he's trying things out. He's being more aggressive with the football. Yeah. Like, let him practice. This is where you make mistakes. And again, when was the last time throwing interceptions was such a bad thing for fantasy? We love that. It's like, oh, sick, YOLO ball, get another drive, here we go. So, yeah, I still like Tua as a late-round quarterback, and if for some reason people are sending him, makes him more accessible to draft, then I'll just continue to draft him as one of my late-round quarterbacks. Like, that was the issue with Tua last year. He was on a contending playoff team, and understandably, and with the hip you know, he was going through, he was more conservative than he probably should have been. And also, he was throwing the ball. These were the freaking wide receivers that got targeted when Tua was under center. Devontae Parker, Lynn Bowden, Jakeem Grant, Matt Collins, Isaiah Ford, Malcolm Perry, Preston Williams, Antonio Callaway. If you're a casual football fan, I wouldn't be surprised if you only knew who Devontae Parker was out of that group. I mean, it was bad. We just didn't have all these instances of Tua just completely sucking or missing these wide open receivers. I know Ryan Fitzpatrick played better than Tua in the same situation. That's because Fitzpatrick's been an above average quarterback for the better part of the last three years. I'm with you, Andrew. We don't care about interceptions in June. We really don't care about interceptions in September. What we do care about is the fact that Brian freaking Hoyer is the other option for the Dolphins under center. It's going to be Tua in week one. It's going to be Tua in week 18 if he is healthy enough to be there. Here's to hoping he can put things together and make a nice little year to leap. Andrew, next up is Jets rookie wide receiver Elijah Moore. The hype is building. We had uh, head coach man go. His work ethic is off the charts. His mindset is off the charts. Everything's off the charts, apparently. We're excited <laughs> to continue working with him so we can see him get better. One of the things that's really been great for him, not that it's been a surprise, but to see it actually happen, what makes those guys difficult to defend is he can line up as the Z, F, or X receiver. He can line up wherever you want, and he's going to execute it at a very high level. The Athletics' Connor Hughes said that Elijah has been the most impressive player at OTAs, and it's not really close. Now, we have the news that Jameson Crowder is coming back. He took a this whole thing. Quick, quick rant. Jameson Crowder has been the Jets' best wide receiver, best offensive player, really, over the past two years. They were set to pay him $10 million this year. The Jets have the third most available cap space in the league, and they made this dude take half of a pay cut. You know, you're a professional sports team. I know you need to save money, but when you're saving money, not even to spend money, like, come on, give me a break. So that's, you know, it really shows you free agents will be lining up to play for this team in the future. So just, you know, more Jets going to Jet, I guess. But regardless, it does seem like Crowder is going to be in the picture this year. We have more. We have Crowder. We have Denzel Mims. We have Corey Davis. Even Keelan Cole is out there. Andrew, are you, I guess, infatuated enough with Moore's talent to think that he can win out in this crowded, potentially low ceiling? situation i'm getting justin jefferson vibes from elijah moore just based on his his super productive college profile his explosiveness the ability to win downfield and it's the whole slot thing kind of all over again you know last year there was a lot of discussion about justin jefferson and he only played the slot lsu his last year and how is he going to fit into the vikings offense a lot of question marks about that and then they signed you know a bunch of other players it was like a tajay sharp and you know all the job like a bunch of no-name guys that were playing over him and it seems like elijah moore is looking really good at, at 
training camp and at, at OTAs, but we're trying to figure out, okay, where does he fall in the depth chart? Is Jameson Crowder going to play in front of him? Is that kind of how things are going to be lined up? And I think that to start the year, we could see that. We could see Crowder start over him if he doesn't end up starting on the outside. I know Denzel Mims has not been running with the ones, but he's been running behind Keelan Cole. So that's kind of another question of what the Jets are kind of doing. But I think that ultimately the talent's going to win out and they're going to find a way, you know, after week one or week two and be like, okay, we need to get this guy on the field like ASAP, like yeah. do whatever it takes. We, we don't care if Jameson Crowder, like if he's starting or not, whatever, we need to get this guy on the field. I mean, the guy in 2020 was second receptions per game. He had almost 11 catches per game at Ole Miss and he was first in receiving yards per game. So again, in PPR formats, I think that Elijah Moore is someone that you still want to draft, you know, with a last round pick and just kind of wait it out. Cause like the talent is clearly there and even if it takes a few weeks for the Jets to kind of figure out what they're going to do. I mean, like you said, Jets going to jet, but hey, week three, week four rolls around. You know, that's when we saw Justin Jefferson really take a huge leap. He just blew up in week three and then it was basically off to the races after, after that game. So it might take, you know, a couple of weeks, but yeah, I'm excited about Elijah Moore. I think your point about how late you can get him in drafts is what makes him so intriguing. If we had to draft him as a wide receiver three, like, no, that'd be pretty terrifying. But we don't have to. He's going behind Henry Ruggs, Rashad Bateman, Marvin Jones, Cole Beasley, Russell Gage, Darnell Mooney. Just guys that, like, have no chance of being their team's number one receiver. And I'm not saying that all those guys won't necessarily outscore Elijah Moore this year. But he certainly has a higher, I think, projected range of outcome here uh, available for him, particularly if Zach Wilson is even like somewhat worth a damn as uh, this squad starting quarterback. So yeah, man, I really, the first time I kind of stumbled upon Elijah Moore was when he had Lane Kiffin freaking chucking those clipboards to the heavens every time, you know, he got loose downfield in one of those. So yeah, I guess the fact that they are, you know, not only, not only are the training camp or the, excuse me, the OTA reports positive enough about him, you know, just making plays, but the fact that they already seem so comfortable moving around the formation, he seems to be playing ahead of Denzel Mims, even on the outside and some of these first team sets and the reports we're getting. Everything is pointing up for Elijah Moore. Continue to draft him as the value he is at this moment in Fantasyland. We got Najee Harris, who we've been telling you people since the draft, the night after the draft, about how he's just going to continue rising up draft boards because people are going to more and more get behind the idea that a large workload is on the way. Big Ben added some fuel to the fire, saying he doesn't seem lost. It's not too big for him. His head's not spinning. The most exciting part is once he gets it and it clicks and he goes full speed. Again, Andrew Najee is trending more and more towards a first-round pick. I did bump him ahead of Antonio Gibson because of the toe thing and just the realization that J.D. McKissick isn't completely going away. Najee Harris probably has that three-down role already that we hope Antonio Gibson gets. Where are you on Najee, and he's, is he continuing to move up your board like he is mine and basically everyone else's in the industry? Yes, he yeah. continues to move up because the the touches, the 300-touch threshold is just kind of like sinking in. Every time I look at it, I realize, dude, this guy is going to touch the ball probably 300 times, at least 250 times, and look at last year. There were four running backs that hit 300 touches. Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, Dave Montgomery, Josh Jacobs. Three of them finished in the top, inside the top four, and one of them was top eight, which was Jacobs. So I just don't see how he doesn't pay off because yeah. his volume is so secure. Like That's something that we're so attached to at the running back position. You know, we, we think that Cam Akers is going to get all the touches. Is Jonathan Taylor going to get... Like, we know for a fact, like 100% that Najee Harris is going to be 
a touch monster in that offense. So I, yeah, I keep, I want to have him on my fantasy team. I don't think that you're ever going to be disappointed and be like, well, you know, Harris only got 25 touches last week. Like, do I bench him this week? Like that's never going to be in your consideration because you're just going to play him every single week because the touches are going to lead to production. So again, the offensive line, it's not great, but we said the same thing about the Rams offensive line last year. It, it wasn't great. And then, oh, what do you know? It it was great till it wasn't. <laughs> and, and, now it, and now it's one of the better offensive lines. So we overevaluate our ability to an, analyze these offensive lines sometimes. And if they can just be an average offensive line, it's not going to make any difference. Look, we saw last year, Kalen Balash, famous for rushing for <laughs> 1.9 yards per carry in 2019, was a top 15 running back because he averaged 21 touches per game. Yeah. Like that's the, anytime people talk about the efficiency volume, I just bring up, just bring up Kalen Balash. Like he was a, he was a punchline yeah. and he was for serviceable because he saw over 20 touches per game. So, and Hey, he's sneaky. The Calm potential down. Najee Harris Calm handcuff. <laughs> oh, so. he is in Pittsburgh. I thought he was actually still in LA. I think I messed no, up. No, he's in Pittsburgh. I was actually thinking about that. I was like, who is the Steelers handcuff? Got, got, a brush, got a brush up on my six RB deep death chart <laughs> knowledge, I guess. So I, I hope you all have been enjoying the fantasy files I've been pumping out daily. And if you haven't been, you know, touche. But one stat I've been repeating a lot to the with the running backs involved is exactly what Andrew is saying. How not only like, OK, offensive lines obviously matter, but our ability to kind of discern the difference that they're going to make in a running back's fantasy performance is what makes them really not matter because PFF's top five run blocking offensive lines last year produced four top 24 PPR running backs and our bottom five offensive lines also produced four top 24 PPR running backs. Now the bottom ones did have guys like Gaskin, Eckler, pass catching running backs that were more easily able to overcome their O-line's deficiencies. That's exactly what Najee also has in his capabilities. So I went ahead and I looked at all NFL running backs in 2020 and the average per rush attempt was 0.64 PPR points and per target was 1.58. So basically one target is equal to about two and a half rush attempts. I took that, took our 2021 fantasy projections just to get basically a projected expected points, almost fantasy opportunity score. And top of the list, I think most people would agree with Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Saquon, Ezekiel Elliott. Then we get Kamara, Eckler, Mixon, Aaron Jones, and number nine, Najee Harris. And that is pretty conservative. Like I'm not even saying I necessarily agree with every single one of our projections for these guys but that's what Najee's looking like it's looking like already a top 10 workload here's to hoping that this offense can you know resemble more of the first half group than the second half I know Pittsburgh was bad last year and they're not exactly trending up still the reigning 12th ranked scoring offense I mean I think people are putting a little too much stock into some of those late season games Andrew I just said his name but one guy who's been all over fantasy football Twitter has basically got to pick your stand on him these days Joe Mixon I mentioned some of those misleading tweets. I was barking about one on Sunday. Basically, Coach Zach Taylor came out and said, having Joe Mixon on the field makes us better. At the same time, we don't need him on the field for 75 snaps. And hilariously, someone interpreted that as like a bad sign about him not being their third down back. People, Christian McCaffrey has played 75 snaps twice in his career. That is such an outrageous number. It's basically Zach Taylor saying like, we're not going to run him into the ground every single play because nobody does that. So what we should 
should be paying attention to is Mixon's offensive coordinator who said after the draft, I don't want Joe to leave the field personally. And I think he's up for that challenge. Joe shouldn't come off the field. He should be on the field every down. And then everyone will say, oh, but Ian and Andrew, why am I going to make the same mistake again? You aren't making the same mistake again. Giovanni Bernard, who is the single thing limiting Joe, is out of the picture. It's a new situation. We need to treat it as, as such. Andrew, Joe Mixon, he's a top 10 fantasy back. Can, why, why can't everyone just get behind this, Andrew? Because people can't get over the fact that he got hurt last year. Honestly, it has to do with the whole injured reserve thing where they didn't put him on IR. So teams weren't able to move on. You had to keep him on your bench. And that's why the hate has gone so far. And people are just overlooking the fact that, look, there were six running backs that averaged over 20 touches per game last year. One of them was Joe Mixon. He was on pace for 373 touches. I already talked about the 300 threshold touch mark for basically it locks you in to finish as a top eight running back. That's what Joe Mixon's going to have. Giovanni Bernard, his mustache is gone. It has been shaved off and it's not coming back anytime soon. So for me, I think Joe Mixon makes so much sense in the second round as a running back that you get because of the volume he's going to get. And if this offense is as explosive as we think it can be, I think that we're going to see him totally bust out in 2021. The one thing that I will say about Mixon, though, and this has to do more with a redraft approach in terms of when you would be drafting him potentially in August and September, is the Bengals opening schedule really sucks. It's not good. It's the Minnesota Vikings, who have a much better defense than last year, the Bears and the Steelers, the first three weeks of the season. You have Joe Burrow coming back from his injury. It would not surprise me at all to see this team start out the gates maybe a little bit slower than we all anticipate. And that's going to drive Joe Mixon managers, people that dra- like the, it's going to be off the charts. Crazy. By low. But the thing is, weeks four through six, Jags, Packers, Lions. Oh, my God. So, look, you don't even have to draft Joe Mixon if you don't want to. If you don't want to. Don't do it. Trade for him <laughs> after week one, after week two. Trade some guy that breaks out. Trade one of these wide receivers that blows up that you drafted on, you know, in the 10th round. And then get Joe Mixon on your roster because after week three, it's going to be Joe Mixon RB1 season. Great points on the schedule. And he wasn't bad last year. He's actually pretty awesome. He averaged 0.25 fewer PPR points per game than Jonathan Taylor. And I'm just getting near death threats when I bring up the idea that maybe you should take Mixon over Jonathan Taylor. And everyone goes, oh, but Mixon only did great in that Jaguars game. Go look at Jonathan Taylor's final, you know, actually good games. And you'll realize that, you know, yeah, he bought out against the Jaguars, Raiders and Texans and pretty much nobody else. So I fully agree that Jonathan Taylor is a better real life running back than Joe Mixon but when one of them is on declining offense the Colts because Carson Wentz is worse than Phillip Rivers that is a fact by any stat you want to look at and another one is on an extending offense that just lost their pass catching back and and yeah we've we're on the same page Andrew I've yelled about this a lot let's uh let's keep it moving on to your New England Patriots you have the Mac Jones Alabama jersey in the back and that brings us to Mr. Cameron Newton who Bill Belichick said is way ahead of where he was during the 2020 offseason. There's no question about that. Continues to compliment Cam consistently first in reps. We did get a video, man, of Cam missing a pass in practice. So if that's going to, you know, really just dive you under, I mean, Mac Jones, the way he just floated that ball into the end zone during, I don't even think there's a defender on the field. Like Boston media, man, like chill the hell out, guys. But Andrew, give me your thoughts on this quarterback situation and who do you think is going to be under center come week one? I think week one is going to be Cam Newton. 
Still believe it's his job to lose. And I don't think that Bill Belichick is going to be able to determine if Mac Jones is ready to start in the NFL based on practice. I really don't think that's the case. I think Cam Newton's done enough to earn the starting job. And if he falters, then they'll go to Mac Jones. Like That's really what I think is the best case scenario. I mean, look, Cam Newton wasn't even on the team last year at this point a year ago. So when Bill Belichick says he's way ahead of last year, it's like, yeah, because he literally wasn't on the team at <laughs> all at this point a low, year ago. Low bar, low bar to clear. <laughs> so it's, it's still Cam's job to lose. And, and for fantasy purposes, that's more unfortunate because – cam kind of cannibalizes the fantasy points in the production that we could hopefully ex- expect from some of these receivers and tight ends and running backs because he does so much of the damage of on his own so much of the offense runs through his legs and his ability to score fantasy points so patriots players aren't necessarily someone that i'm looking to target early on but in best ball because they're undervalued because cam newton is the perceived starter like when the championships come up you know, later in the season, Mac Jones could be under center. And then that's when we're going to see a boon from some, a lot of these Patriots skill players, whether it's Damien Harris. Now he's going to have touchdown upside potentially. If Cam Newton's not the rushing quarterback at the goal line, you're going to see more passing attempts for the receiver. So more targets, you're going to see more boom weeks from the tight ends from Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith. Like, look, I understand the rankings of Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry kind of like on that tight end 15 range, but I mean, they're, they're, clearly better than all those other tight ends that are in that range it's just it's really hard to peg the targets the distribution because there's a whole new offense so with with so many different so many different receivers to kind of try to figure out who is going to go to so i think there's a lot of value in patriots later in drafts more like them in best ball i think that in regular redraft leagues you can probably wait until mac jones becomes a starter so that's kind of my take on the path. Starting to drink the Damon Harris Kool-Aid a little bit more as it becomes more apparent that Sonny Michelle is a likely cut candidate. But yeah, it's, you know, I was thinking Mac Jones could be the week one starter. I'm still not necessarily coming off of that just because Bill is paying Cam some nice lip service here. I just think that like there's such a difference in the way they play and the way the offense will go. It doesn't really make sense as a situation where you're going to have them competing too severely. But hey, it is Cam Newton, man. I, I, I still stand. I, I do hope he uh, holds and wins on the job and goes back to balling out. We will see certainly one of the closest quarterback battles to watch throughout OTAs and training camp alike. Still on the Patriots, another misleading tweet that has been sent out there stating that Jacoby Myers looks like the Patriots' number one wideout. The actual article was reading this. The sooner Nelson Aguilar or Kendrick Bourne can master the playbook, the better. The Pats offense is notoriously difficult for receivers to pick up. Even veterans in the team is counting on one of them to step into a starting role. As I continue to learn, don't be surprised if Jacob Myers looks like the team's number one option this week. He's enjoyed a strong spring. Wouldn't exactly say that that means he's going to be the number one wideout, but to each their own. Obviously, people can have different interpretations than myself. Come on, man. Andrew, I, I know what you're saying about those tight ends, and they are. It's kind of like Johnu and Hunter. Neither has exactly been a model of good health. Even Johnu's banged up right now. If either one of them goes down, obviously, we're putting the other one top six, top seven rather quickly. What wide receiver, if any, are you interested in? Because for me, it still is Nelson Aguilar. I mean, okay, my Myers, good, good on him for playing well so far, but they gave Aguilar, I believe it was 27 million bucks for a reason. Agreed. Nelson Aguilar is still the receiver I want on the Patriots. Jacoby Myers was productive last year, 12th and average yards per route run, but 
his volume was because the Patriots offense and the receivers were terrible last year. They didn't have anybody else to throw the ball to. So, yeah. again, this is a trap that fantasy gamers, I think, fall into sometimes where you look at last year and when it, some random guy kind of stepped up because everybody else was much worse. <laughs> like, that's not the scenario anymore. This yeah. receiving depth chart is totally different than it was last year. Hunter Henry's there. Johnny Smith is there. Nelson Aguilar. All those guys are going to command more targets than Jacoby Myers. At least that's the way that I would project it, you know, if I was running the projections. So, Myers... Okay, he's the fourth option on a offense that doesn't project a lot of throw the ball a lot. Like, no, I don't want Jacoby Myers. He's a he's a fine story as an undrafted guy, and he's you know he's a better chance of holding his job than Nikhil Harry. So yeah. you know, kudos to him. But at the same time, he's not going to be a featured weapon in an offense that you know really isn't that exciting. So I'm just gonna take Aguilar, who again has a lot of reasons why to keep him on the field and to keep him happy with targets coming his way. Yeah, I mean, look, and just even with Aguilar, like this is more based on where they're going in drafts. I mean, he is virtually free. We're talking even cheaper than the uh, Elijah Moore territory of wide receivers. And like, just remember with the Patriots and like the Panthers and these, the Raiders, the Chiefs, just because you're a number one, number two wide receiver in offense doesn't mean you're the number one or number two pass game option. Just like you said with the Patriots, we got two tight ends that should probably be considered the favorites to lead the way in targets. And like if James White is number three, that wouldn't exactly shock any of us. So I think Myers will probably make the most out of like 50 to 60 targets next year at the most. Best of luck. I could be wrong. Moving on, Denver Broncos. We got Javante Williams, rookie RB, getting some hype. Denver Post Ryan O'Halloran said, I think he's the week one starter. You do not trade up in the second round for that position without having him earmarked to be your main guy. Melvin Gordon has been a complete no-show during OTAs. If they thought he was still a starter, I believe he would have made an appearance or two. I'm not exactly buying this one, man. I don't know. Like, we have plenty of evidence of teams like kind of drafting second round running backs and not immediately making them the guy. Do I think he's a running back to own ahead of Melvin Gordon? Absolutely. I just don't think Gordon is going to be on the maybe Williams gets the first snap, but this is going to be the same committee that we've really seen it function as over the years. It's just very difficult for someone like Melvin Gordon, who isn't spectacular at this point of his career by any stretch of the imagination, but still an incumbent veteran that's probably going to be a little bit better at the nuances of the position and an offense he already knows compared to a rookie. And we even got Mike Davis out there, uh, or, excuse me. Mike Boone out there uh, uh, getting some positive quotes as well. So I guess I'm still anticipating a committee here, Andrew. I'm not really letting this news change much of my ranks. What do you think? It's one guy's opinion, I think, of the uh, of the yeah. situation. You know, that Ryan doesn't sound like insider info to me, you know? <laughs> right. No, when I read it, it basically was, this is just one beat writer's opinion yeah. about how he feels about the backfield. And I feel like I share a similar opinion to him. It makes sense that a team that would trade up for a running back in the second round with an aging veteran that is going to be a free agent next year, that they would probably elect to look at their future as opposed to their past, which is Melvin Gordon. So I can get behind his idea behind it. There's legs to it because it makes logical sense that, well, why wouldn't the team? They have a brand new GM. This is his running back. Let's use him. He can be, you know, he's more explosive than Melvin Gordon. And I think that's going to be the case. Yeah, it's going to be a committee. But we saw last year it was Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon. They were in a 60-40 split. And I really think that that's all Williams needs potentially is a 40 and a 60 split to show off how much better he is than Melvin Gordon. Yeah. Like this guy is super explosive. Second of the nation last year in runs of 15 plus yards. And he's always been in a committee and he still was 
looked at as one of the top backs in this class, despite the fact that he never really had a bell cow role at North Carolina. So if there's anyone that can show out in a committee, it's Javante Williams. And eventually, you know, week three, week four, week five is going to roll around. They're going to be like, why are we still giving the ball to Melvin Gordon? <laughs> like, let's feed our lead back here. Let's feed Javante Williams. So it might take some time. Again, we all want to anoint the rookie running backs, you know, week one as the guy. But I would say if you draft Javante Williams, you know, be patient with him. I still have him ranked over Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon might outtouch him week one or week two. But that doesn't matter. You're playing the long term game with Javante Williams. I think that Javante Williams, by the time week 10 comes around, he's going to be someone you can lock and load every single week as at least an RB2. Yeah, and I would say I know I get a lot of DMs sometimes about like keeper questions for leagues that just have, you know, one or two guys. And Javante, as long as I'm looking at it, I mean, it depends where you can get him in your drafts, but he is starting to have a sizable gap grow between him, ETN, and Najee. And if you look at Melvin Gordon, like, yeah, he, I think he'll probably be a little bit of a pain in the ass this year, but he's gone in 2022. Like, he is not going to be back in Denver. I would be shocked if they re sign him to any amount of, level and that's when Javante is going to be shooting up the ranks you know I like to sometimes take the difference in ADP just from last year to this year to see you know what guys are really rising and falling I would imagine you know looking ahead to like 2022 Javante is going to be one of those guys where he's probably going to be borderline RB2 like top 30 guy this year next year he's going to be knocking on the door of that top 12 so you know when you see him alongside guys you know like Kareem Hunt, Miles Gaskin, Chase Edmonds, uh, even like Raheem Mostert who we'll talk about a little bit in a second. Just consider if you're in one of these leagues with the keepers, how great Javante's role could look next year and really towards the end of this year too. We see this all the time with rookie running backs. Takes a couple of weeks for them to get the lead role. Once they do, they end up being the guys that we want towards the end of the season. All right, moving on to that 49ers backfield. Another rookie running back is impressing Trey Sermon, quote unquote, ahead of the curve. You know, just the most resounding compliment you could ever get from NBC Sports Bay Area's Jennifer Lee Chan. Raheem Mostert has been limited for precautionary reasons, a.k.a. he's going to get fed the ball because he's a 49ers starting running back. About to knock over my microphone here in pure excitement. We got Jeff Wilson now for four to six months with a knee injury. So, yeah, Sermon has been getting extra first-team reps, but... He's still, last time I heard, the number three back behind Wayne Gallman for some reason. Jermichael Hasty is still there. The sixth rounder, Elijah Mitchell, figures to have some level of a role. Andrew, I still just can't even fathom why Trey Sermon is being slotted ahead of Raheem Mostert in drafts right now. I like Sermon a lot, man. Columbus, Ohio lifer. I, I love what he did at the end of last year. He was our RB4 going to the draft. It's a good situation. I, I just don't know how he's ahead of Mostert. I think he's ahead of Mostert because people are betting on the season outlook for the two players. I think that in a regular redraft league, I think it, Mostert makes total sense. Like, you wouldn't draft Sermon first. That makes zero sense to do because, like you said, Mostert's probably going to be the starter week one. But at any point during the year, if Mostert either gets hurt again or falters in any which way, you know, Sermon, when he's gotten the touches and gotten the workload like he showed at Ohio State, like, he balls out. Like he is so good. It's just a matter of him like getting to the RB1 chair. That's really been his issue and his lack of uh, work in the passing game. But if if Trey Lance is the quarterback, it doesn't really matter because there won't really won't be that many passes to the running backs anyway. But for me, I think that this report is just look, it's good that he's getting reps in with the, the first team because Mostert's not there. 
I haven't heard that much about Wayne Gallman. I don't know why, but I keep drafting. I keep I keep finding myself drafting Wayne Gallman because I just kind of like look at him. I'm like, all right, well, this is just Jeff Wilson 2.0. Like, why not? Like Jeff Wilson scored like eight touchdowns last year. So, again, this isn't a Wayne Gallman pro podcast, but maybe maybe it should be. But <laughs> I still think the Trey Sermon in best ball makes a lot of sense because you're betting on he if he becomes a starter down the line, which I don't think is that outrageous of a take. But I think that. They shouldn't be really too far apart in ADP. I think I, I basically have them ranked right next to each other because, you know, one day it's Mostert, one day it's Trey Sermon because it doesn't matter. Whoever ends up being the starting running back is going to ball out. It's not going to be because, oh, you know, Mostert only rushed for six yards per carry. Like, we got to replace him with Sermon who's going to rush for 6.5. It doesn't really matter who the running back is. They're going to be productive in this offensive scheme. I mean, we haven't seen Shannon really lean on one single running back for quite some time. I guess the reason why I'm keeping most of it is he's the 1A. He's starting the season as the 1A. He's been so good whenever healthy that I don't see that slipping. To me, Sermon maybe can be the 1B to start. Seems like he needs to kind of beat out Gallman, do a little bit more first. We'll see. There's just more uncertainty. And I think Sermon's best case is being a two, part of a two-back committee, which I think Mostert already has uh, locked down. So, hey, maybe I'm you know just not putting enough credit into what Sermon can do. You know, he was, hey, you're a third-round pick uh, from Kyle Shanahan. That should be worth something. So, we'll see. I'll be very interested, again, going back to, you know, trying to focus more on the usage and the necessarily, you know, practice talent uh, being shown. Very interested to see how these first team reps shake out come preseason last one andrew we got some this might be the most serious one honestly just cold water dumped on the irv smith breakout fire from mike zimmer this was mike zimmer's direct quote like you don't hear coaches just kind of say stuff like this zimmer goes honestly i didn't think it's any bigger all right so talking about irv smith's role honestly i don't think it's any bigger role for him whatsoever i think it's a bigger role for tyler conklin he's kind of emerged as a guy that's moving upward and with those two guys we have a lot of weapons there irv has always been able to do what he's been able to do whether kyle was here or not we're excited about these two young tight that we have now Conklin did actually out target Irv when Kyle Rudolph was gone last year with that said Irv was actually coming back from an injury in one of those games he was playing well under 50% of the snaps he was still very involved I believe he's the better tight end but Andrew it certainly seems like they're going to continue to be using their two tight end sets and even if Irv is going to be the guy playing because I mean during that stretch he was playing 75-80% snaps it's not a situation where they're necessarily canceling each other out but if he's not going to get 100% of the tight end targets, I mean, we're already expecting Irv to be the number four pass game option or run first offense. I bumped him down the ranks, man. I did. Add the Vikings to the list of teams to have unreliable tight end fantasy production in 2021. Mike Zimmer, I appreciate the honesty and you coming out. But look, man, tight end is a wasteland. We are trying our best to find late round options here. This happens and- every year. <laughs> And Irv Smith, he's out, man. He's he's definitely, he fell down my rankings as well. You really shouldn't draft him. He's just another guy at this point, just another late round tight end. And you're hoping that, okay, Conklin gets injured. Okay, now maybe you can slide Irv Smith Jr. in there. But again, you got Cook there, Thielen, Justin Jefferson. There's just not enough to go around in an offense that really predominates about the, the run game. They have a better defense. I don't think they're going to throw as much. It's going to have to be off efficient play. And again, maybe he stumbles into a bunch of touchdowns. That's that's potentially. But 
we're never going to recommend starting a guy because he catches one touchdown every single week. You know, we want targets. That's the only way that we can put confidence in our lineups is guys that get targeted. The Robert Tanyan seasons are not ones that you want to rely on every year. Again, like I don't think I ever recommended starting Robert Tanyan because he only got like four targets every single week, but he just found a way to score 11 touchdowns. So yeah, Irv Smith, I think he's outside my top 15 guys. And as a result, you know, as, as, as a tight end shakeup overall, you know, Adam Troutman has now found himself inside the top 12, which I'm not sure really sure how we got here, but we are here with Adam Troutman. So, yeah, I got Troutman 12, Ferkser 13, Johnny Hunter, Gerald Everett at 16 and all the way at number 17, Irv Smith. I'm sorry, brother. He, look, dude's only I think he's still only 22 or is he 23? Like, this is like, he's going to be our next, like, Amari Cooper, uh, Sam Darnold. Like, we're just going to keep talking about his age. Eventually, I'm going to start making stuff up. He is 22 years old, turns 23 in August. I mean, he's been great, but Tyler Conklin's not as scrubbed. Conklin's actually, like, taller, bigger. He has a higher spark score, if you know you're into that kind of thing. So, hey. Conklin, not a scrub. Irv's awesome. Unfortunately, I don't think Irv's going to get the sort of role that we can really hang our hat on in Fantasyland. People, I hope you have enjoyed Andrew and I today. If you have, please check out the rest of our PFF Podcast Network, which covers everything NFL, college, and fantasy football. You can recap the NFL Draft with Mike Renner and Austin Gale's 2 for 1 Drafts Podcast or get all the 2021 betting content you need with the PFF Forecast. Also, please check out PFF's 2021 Best Ball Draft Kit, tiered rankings to projections to targetable stacks of the season's favorable matchups the only resource you'd ever need to wreak havoc across best ball formats all summer long and if you like fantasy football and if you like playing fantasy for money you need to check out underdog fantasy underdog's got everything including season long and playoff best ball best ball is a season long game where you draft a team like you normally do but that's it there's no in-season roster management underdog automatically selects your best performers each week saving you loads of time go to underdog fantasy and deposit ten dollars using promo code pff and get a free pff edge annual subscription that's promo code pff draft now underdog fantasy andrew fantastic stuff what do you got on the docket over at pff.com for the rest of the week we've got half point ppr rankings coming out we've got an article about kyle pitts and his adp that has gone to the moon and basically kind of trying to figure out what to do with this middle tier of tight ends with kyle pitts tj hawkinson mark andrews where is the value because i don't know about you ian but when I saw Kyle Pitts get drafted in round three of a best ball draft last night, I kind of panicked and was like, mm, man, this sucks. I think Kyle Pitts is a really good prospect and he can have like one of the best rookie seasons ever for a tight end. But at the same time, you know, TJ Hawkinson and Mark Andrews could still easily outscore him because, yes, that's where the bar is set for rookie tight ends. But check out the article. It should be a good read. If you're confused on what you should do with Kyle Pitts, I think it'll give you some guidance. As always, people try to draft players closer to their floor than ceilings if you can. We all love Kyle Pitts. He's ranked pretty much consensus top six tight end now. Just don't uh, don't go freaking out if you can avoid it. You can catch me on Twitter at iHeart. It's new fantasy files over here at the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast every single day. Also got 100 articles and 100 days series continuing. Please check that out on PFF.com. I'm about to go for a run. Andrew, I still hate running, man. I mean, maybe it was because like it was always a punishment for me growing up, like playing football we condition and it was just it was never fun but now that you know weight room's a little harder to come by and stuff i go trying to jog around the neighborhood and i like within three minutes every single time i just hate myself i'm already breathing hard i tough it out but does it ever get easier man are you a runner i am not a runner i'm a retired runner because my knees hated me and i stopped running for a while and then i 
just ran randomly one day and i was like oh my god my knees they don't feel like todd Gurley. like what, what is going on right now this is amazing so i'm more of a biker myself whether it's an in, indoor bike or an outdoor bike that's really more of how i like to get my cardiovascular in yeah that's fair well i'll be thinking about you well i will not be thinking about you actually as i'm going on my run i'll probably be thinking about hating myself again because that's how it always freaking goes so oh well wish me luck everyone he's andrew i'm ian this has been the pff fantasy football podcast and until next time take care everybody 